Come join the conversation, the show that you've been wanting. Keep it real with no filter. Weekly we share discussions. WWSD interviewing creative guests, talking the creative process and sharing all the influences from TV and film. Emmy nominated and winning. Yeah, they coming through. Actors and comedians too. Directors and writers, we're more than a few. Masters of their craft. Yes, tune in. You gotta see this the podcast that you need. WWSD. Welcome to the WWSD Podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. We are sponsored by Collector's Maze. You can check them out at collectorsmaze.com for all things related to Phantom. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, enjoy my buddy and co-host, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? It's going great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So uh, what, I'm excited for tonight. Tonight, we have a very special guest. We are joined by a very funny stand-up comedian, Daniel Parafan. Daniel is in New York, and he's packing a bowl right now. <laughs> 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 what do you mean daniel it's a pleasure having you on the podcast hey. it's less cute than i thought it would be anyway <laughs> no that's super cute i love the way the three of us are here you know nice tall men very strong tall and strong and bearded beautiful big penises that really big, exist. huge huge giant i would i look at it and i get upset and it's so big it's like a help. It's like who's gonna love me with this, you know? Nobody. Lower Nobody. back <laughs> shoes. <laughs> I get get gets wet when I'm walking home. I wear sweatpants. <laughs> I drown a lot. <laughs> Always pat me down at the airports. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, but no thing. So, Daniel, how'd you get uh, started in comedy? What, what was uh, some of your first steps? I've always wanted to do it ever since I was like 16, which I was cowardly. You know, I was unmedicated at the time and I didn't really understand. I mean, that's, it's a big factor. You know, you get really anxious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I grew up in a time when like people were getting medication and you were like, people gave you a weird look like, oh, you go to a therapist, you know? Yeah. So I, I've seen people on Comedy Central and I, I just had a sort of notion. I just, I knew like, that's kind of what I wanted to do that. That's more than anything else. I wanted that. I just, I felt really attracted to it. I was too anxious to go out and try it. I didn't even know how to really start. Mm-hmm. No one ever teaches you that. I guess I might've heard the phrase open mic. So I assumed I can do comedy there, but like, I didn't really know. No. One day I kind of just Googled open mic and went to one when I was turning 23, I think. And were you in New York at the time? Yeah. You know, New York big. You grew up in New York too then. Mm-hmm. The entire kitten caboodle. My mom was was she just citizen now, but like she was undocumented growing up. It was my twin sister and myself. We were born here. So we were like kind of liaison between her and America. Needed when she needed anything from like a doctor or like a government official, like we had to take care of it. We spoke English. Children are qualified doctors or like medical interpreters, you know. She'd be like, Oh, what does the paperwork say? I'd be like, I have to read it like I'm a fucking adult. Explaining things to another adult, you know, it's hard. A lot of pressure when it comes to Americans. And if something goes wrong, she'll beat the shit out of you. It happens. You know, just get the crap out of you and that's it. Yeah. Well, at least I know I can stand up a torture. That's pretty good. Got that going for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what was it about the, the Comedy Central specials that kind of lured you to comedy? Was it just like the laughs? No, kind of. It was. I mean, I was, I think like anyone else who does this, there was a little bit of a class clown in me. Um, not too much. It wasn't that big. I was, I was more nervous uh, as a child, but I like making goofy faces. I like making people laugh, which I did to my sister a lot. So I like making her laugh. I liked making a lot of the kids in my school laugh. So it was like an inkling there. You know, as I grew up, it was more awkward, but I was funnier too. It started kind of bubbling up once I started watching, I guess, people on TV. And I thought like, oh, I could do something with this. I can move up a career path. And then I guess in college, kind of get into weird stuff. So I got into comedy albums. Mm-hmm. So I would sometimes go with my other friends to either go see people like Mike Birbiglia at UCB for like five bucks, or you'd go to Whiplash and you see all these like people you saw in Comedy Central and they were fucking live. They were so funny. It's that kind of weird drive. I, I can't explain it, I guess, so much in words, but it, it was more of a, I was sort of attracted to it almost at an unconscious level. Where I, I I felt like that that is the thing that I was meant to do, no matter how much it paid, gotcha. <laughs> or how little it paid. 
<laughs> it's it, it must have been interesting like coming up in in new york like because you've got access to so much good comedy as well you know yeah 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 i think the hardest part is that you don't get a grace period people oh, right. see you at the worst phase of your career and those people stay here or are here and they'll always look down on you no matter what unfortunately do you, do you saw people looking down on you even even after you've been doing it for so long yeah yeah, yeah it happens i mean it just it's always and this is something that another comic, I remember a few years ago, I heard another comic complaining about it. And I think in the green room of New York Comedy Club, they were talking about how they were mad at someone else because they had gotten something and how they felt like they were being played or something. It was a view that it never ends. This kind of petty squabble crap we have now, it goes on and on into your career no matter what. It's always going to be there, unfortunately, to some degree. That sort of toxicity that comes with this career field. Is, is there is there a certain type of person that's more susceptible to that, or is is it kind of across the board? Because I, you know, I we've heard a lot about that with in the comedy scene. This one I do know from because I I done it. You know, I went to rehab for my drinking. Those were a booze hound, and they discussed endorphins in your brain, and they had mentioned how a lot of people with impulse problems will gravitate to things that quickly give them endorphins and things like stand-up is good for that because it's, that's why there's so many addicts in stand-up because yeah. you are obsessed with getting the next hit you know of laughter in this case do you think that's necessary to be good at it to have that kind of obsession and like uh, like always trying to get another hit necessary i don't know is it helpful absolutely is it detrimental also absolutely even more the problem with impulse behavior like that is there's toxic personalities like character flaws People who are, for whatever reason, emotionally traumatized or psychologically traumatized or genetically traumatized or predisposed to toxic or alcoholic or impulsive and addictive behavior. People exist like this, you know? And they said it, it would have been weaned out of our genetics. But the reason it hasn't is because, you know, impulsive people tend to be risk takers and risk takers tend to be successful statistically. Even if it's one time out of 10, one out of 10 people will succeed and go higher. And they'll have kids and so on and so forth. It's always feel that attracts that kind of negative ideology of becoming the best. People talk about how important it is to be the best and stand up or how important it is to constantly hustle, but they're forgetting the toxicity that comes with that mindset. You know, when you push a little too hard, people see it and it's kind of, it comes off as fake, mm -hmm. if you will, you know, a little, little damaging, unfortunately, emotionally. And the elitism in comedy, which it kind of goes hand in hand with that a little bit. I mean, do you feel like people really think they're like like overly elite? Yes. Oh, absolutely. See, again, a lot of those character flaws, that's part of it. Part of it is, too, some of these folks that do stand up are Midwest, Southern, small town people who would have never otherwise either left. Some of them gamble everything. Some of them are from money, so they already think they're better. That's something we don't talk about enough either. How many people have family in the industry that have an advantage over you that you will never have? I don't have any family connections. I don't have a lot of like people who are more than capable, a lot of entertainers and artists and so on and so forth. They don't have any connections at all in the industry. And that's what keeps them out of larger scale things. That is something to worry about too. Besides the hierarchy, you know, once you start breaking down of like how people look down on other people, Sometimes it's for just not having any money. I've seen people like snub other comics who were more than capable just for not having enough money. I mean, a lot of the cliques in comedy clubs tend to be middle class and up because they usually tend to have, they have to have cars. Mm -hmm. They tend to have identification. They tend to have social security numbers. That's another thing. You can't just be undocumented and do stand-up comedy unless you forego pay, shit like that. There's a certain like economic background or sort of someone needs to be paying the bills a little bit for you to move up to for a while or you have to be working like 20 hours a day or something there are people already coming into it with the feeling that they're better than you no matter what even if they're bombing at open mics at night because it only takes a little while for them to get better and it's even shorter amount of time for them to move up because they have connections in the industry usually there's a limit to like the, the kind of meritocracy of of it then is, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, the, the 0.01% and the point and the 1%, they get recognized. It's, it's very hard to be 0.01. And 
the ones who get recognized. I wish I could name names, but I, you know, you can't. There's people I've seen who who got picked up by Comedy Central who were funny, but ne- that didn't necessarily have too many connections past their late night set. You know, now they have their regular comedy, they have a podcast, they have an album, they have tapings, and they have like a second album coming up. So they're doing it in that way, but they didn't, that's like peak comedian. You know, to move past there, you'd have to get into television or movies. And to get into that, you'd have to have someone on the inside, agent or not. It's very difficult to be spotted out from a group of people. That's where the issue comes in. Yeah, because like networking like does play such a pivotal role in like the entertainment industry, no matter what. And all it's all about like the people you know, because it's like how you get gigs, that's how you get continued gigs, etc. Yeah. But so getting to know what everyone is is crucial. That that's a big part of it. But like I'm, I'm telling you, nepotism plays a bigger role in entertainment than I think most people care to admit. Mm-hmm. People play favorites, people play family favorites. There's certain income levels needed. It's it sucks and it's kind of kind of hurts. But the the more you look up the in the pyramid the more you notice these similar patterns. People are either from a wealthy family or people have connections or people stand out physically. That's another way I guess regular people can stand out. You have to stand out. Either your voice has to sound different, like Mark Norman, Steve Rogers are good examples of that. You know, they sound like they have nasally voices. So their their jokes are are based on that. Or if you're a physically large person like Ralphie May, part of his like he stood out in that way and then he had also this like big guys that was a big conservative kind of thing you know or like controversial i guess that's why i say it there's i guess there's, there's a lot of elements to it and i wish i could i wish it was easier to break down i guess you do it long enough and i started realizing like what is next and there has to be a bunch of people asking themselves that too how can i take all these years of experience and convert it into something that is commercially viable to i guess someone i would fit in with so like something my voice my comedic voice can i turn this into money somehow you know one way people can do that is you can write in any level any person any level can do this you can write half an hour to an hour of stand-up comedy you can record it put it in, in, in an album form you make the album then you can pitch it to different like online things you become part of a pandora site a serious thing you know what i mean that's one way to make money another way is a podcast like you guys are doing there's less and less options for stand-up there's more options but there's less and less options to just be a stand-up you have to be a stand-up with something else right and that's that's another thing that changed in the industry too i mean but like like certain things have definitely like made it easier for doing those like other things like uh youtube instagram TikTok. i mean you're able to like leverage like social media to kind of give you that edge i mean True. i've seen yeah, that a lot I've, with comedians oh absolutely yes but then also you become weighed down by the exact same product how much time am i spending on this social media site mm-hmm. versus working on my act how much time can i i have to constantly update social media i have to worry about reaching new people on there i have to worry about a follower account i have to worry about creating these stand-up clips so now every time i do stand-up i have to set up this camera system because it might catch something off the cuff it might catch something funny and i can take a video of that chop it down put subtitles in it put it online and put it out there and that in turn can get me more followers which can get me a way to give me either clout or allow me to sell myself to more people, either live or through them buying my album. You have to find comedy fans. You have to find a way to get them to follow you. I've been doing it the old-fashioned way and just asking people after shows to follow me, people who really enjoy me, things like that. It's it's like drops in the bucket. The real way to do it is to get in through like magazines or like have people write articles about you. Then other people hear about you. Uh, you can get a press release agent, which you can pay for. You can get a regular agent somehow. That's like the miracle one. Again, knowing someone in the industry makes it easier you know, to get a connection with. It is an uphill battle the entire way. But something that's neat about it is for 15 minutes, most weekdays, I get to say whatever I want to whoever. It's like 15 minutes, but that's like my my reward. It's all yours. For like hours yeah. of work. That's what it was tonight. Tonight was like 20 minutes of that. 20 minutes between two sets. I'll take it, but it still sucks, you know, admittedly. <laughs> and it only, I mean, it just, but it's part of the game. It's just how it works. 
I like to, I like people kind of like think how easy it must be to stand up comic <laughs> when you're, when you're putting in all this time and all this effort. And then you really have to start asking yourself, how much time am I giving myself to write? Do, do you ever uh, work the road? I have. I've never done a tour, but I've done out of towners. Um, I've done an overnighter here and there and a weekend here and there. I don't really stray too far from New York state, but the times I have gone out of town, it's been like drunken fun. You know, I was like a lot younger didn't get drunk. And like, I got drunk in the backwoods of Virginia once ended up in a strip club where they had an open mic night, but for strippers. All right. So they were like, anybody, <laughs> it was a strip club in the middle of backwoods, Virginia. It was as crazy as you thought it would be, you know, <laughs> did anything bad happen that night. Yeah. 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 We just got too drunk. Yeah. Spent all my money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. It was awful. The show was terrible. So, um, <laughs> so let's uh, circle back a little bit. You said you went on, uh, you went to an open mic when you were 23. Yeah. And so you're, you're in college at that time. Uh, what were you going to college for? Economics. Okay. I worked at a bank for a couple of years. It's fun. It's good to know about the economy, you know? Yeah. So, so, so you did a couple of those podcasts as, as a, as a financial expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I technically, I did have a licenses and I did have, I do have 10 years in the industry. Okay. So it's like, I do, I technically, it's just weird to ever hear yourself, someone be like, oh, you have your expertise in this, like, well, I eat out of my pockets. <laughs> <laughs> so when you actually went on stage, though, when you were, did you prepare anything or did you just kind of just tell stories? What was like uh, that, that first set? I have, I have, I remember it vaguely, you know, mm-hmm. very vaguely. I remembered I was, I really wanted to do it and I was pushing myself and I didn't want to like, get any older and not do it and so i pick a day to go out and it just happens to be like a snowstorm so like three people show up this open mic and i was so nervous for these three people but i just kind of pushed through it and i was like i forgot what the fuck i said i think i talked about being hispanic which i do that now hack uh (laughs) uh shit like that like uh i still have my mom's purse Uh, i did a set comedy party usa once and there was a competition and it was like early on in my stand-up or whatever and i reheard the tape it was god awful you know you say <laughs> shit you're like well i found my old bringer tape my old bringer dvd that's how old this thing is it's a dvd of my bringer set <laughs> and i was talking about how i couldn't get 12 people to come to my bringer show jesus got 12 you know <laughs> couldn't get 12 god it's terrible what was that? What was it about that that first night though that really made you want to keep doing it? Did you get a couple laughs from those those three people or? Oh well, I knew it was going to be growing pain. I think either I just picked it up through the way comedians talk about it through like interviews on TV, or I just had a natural feeling it would be nerve wracking. It was pretty bad though. Then I started doing mics more regularly at the Laugh Lounge, which is no longer a comedy club in New York City, where I met a couple people down there kind of clicked up with them oh do you remember chris de Stefano? do you guys know him? Yeah, absolutely yeah chris he was one of those guys started off in the same basement you know have a real career and you're like okay cool i'm gonna barely afford lunch today yes <laughs> like a weird thing he was, he was a physical therapist when you guys started it yeah yeah he was actually like a doctor type yeah <laughs> i never took a class but i i regret that now not taking a class. I think because they were so expensive. Stand-up class? Yeah, Jessica Kirsten used to teach them all the time. I don't think she does them anymore or she doesn't do it for guys. I mean, from what I hear, it's an amazing class. It was Jessica Kirsten. Yeah. You, know, you, you fucking, everyone would kind of learn a little bit. I guess there's no, I. it's almost instinctual, the drive to keep going back. It's, al- it's almost, because it's stupid. You know, you fail it. Because every person kind of bombs their first or second time. Yeah. So after that first bad bomb, a lot of people get shaken off and don't do it again. Or you kind of go, oh, I'll do it later. And you never do it again for like a year. I had a third bomb at, I think it was Comedy Attic or Boston Comedy Club. I think that's what it used to be called, Boston Comedy Club. It shut down downtown. And I didn't do it again for like a year. But I had met a few comedians, Pudge Fernandez being one of them. And he'd got my number and I got his. So what I was doing back then before Twitter is I was texting people jokes. 
So I would mass text people jokes. And some people were like, I fucking hated this. The idiot, like, don't do this. <laughs> and some people would just not respond. And I would send him the punch too. And he was like, just come to the open mics again. We started going to the open mics. So I started going to the open mics. And that's when I clicked up with all those guys. Those like New York guys, which of that entire group, I think maybe only five or six still do stand up. Oh yeah. <laughs> only two professionally. You know, it's Nico White was part of them and Chris Asafano. They do it professionally. I do it, I guess, amateurishly professional. So I don't have big enough credit to count, which kind of sucks. It's more that sucks about being like just good and not excellent, I think. You don't you don't think you're excellent? <sighs> excellent enough to stand out just with my stand up? I don't know. One time, a, a manager sat me down. I'm not going to say which one, but she, we talked about my, she watched a lot of my sets. And she said, you're not going to stand out with your stand-up the way it is now. You'd have to stand out some other way. And that could be a podcast, could be acting. Which, I mean, to her credit, she's been right so far. <laughs> <laughs> it took you a second. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, she nailed it, you know? I'm not going to lie. She hit the nail on the head. She goes, how was she right? You know, how'd you see it? Is, is, there, is there anything else that you're doing right now? Uh, like, uh, are you thinking about starting a podcast or? No, I have to start a podcast. I, I have no choice. I have to start one. <laughs> it seems like every every comedian does start a podcast. It's so funny. Like, it's yes, just. I know. I think... At what point does that become hacked, though? Like, it's like, all right, let's do another podcast for my comedian. I know, but I don't have a big enough base. I don't. I never developed the first base. Because if I don't have the first base, I can't develop the second base for the podcast. First base is a big enough following of social media. 10,000 at least, and you can move from there, transfer a lot of those followers and your podcast followers because they like you. I want to do that through Instagram by posting videos every day, but that means that I have to get efficient enough at adding subtitles. That's a real goal, you know, I want to meet is post one video a day and two to YouTube. So I want to get a lot of those people that end up following me because they enjoy my writing to get, I want to monetize them somehow. That's, that's what I'm really, that's a whole end point of this. Mm-hmm. It's to monetize your base, just like you guys. You want to do that with your podcast eventually if you're not doing it now. Absolutely. It's just capitalism. That's all making it as a comic is. It's can it pay your bills? That's it. That's the that's that's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah. In all fairness, and in, in most art and creative endeavors, like that's usually the goal is like to turn that into something that pays your bills. Yeah. Where you don't yeah, have yeah, to have yeah. like a shitty day job or something where it's like you can just focus on your art. Like that's 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 what everyone wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's all it's just I fucking hate that people make it a thing, you know, like you making it as a comic. I'm I shut up, you know. <laughs> I mean last year I made like sixteen, eighteen thousand dollars a stand-up comic, which is like it would have been more, but November, December were pretty bad because of Omicron. Yeah. Which it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's just off stand-up I made that money. Yeah. So it's like stand-up fun. The problem that sucks, not a realistic way to live. Not in New York, at least. No, yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, no. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's just that's just barely above the poverty line, I think, federal poverty if line. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I see why so many comics are on food stamps, too. It makes sense to do it. I've heard other people that have kind of gotten traction by going going to places where there's not as much comedy. And um, because you, you could kind of stand out like in like in places that aren't that, that, that don't have as many comic. You know what I mean? Like, I believe you. Yeah. Like, so go to like wyoming or something yeah i wouldn't go that far but (laughs) you know like even even working the road you can like yeah like there there are a lot there are a lot of audiences out there i think that haven't really heard a lot of comedy so they're just jazzed about especially especially like a new good in new york i think you know in in different places around the u.s would be but that's that's where i guess marketability starts coming into play like how is what you're saying going to transfer to this kind of base i can see people in those areas kind of like not liking certain comics just because they're from New York. Oh yeah. Which isn't to say don't do it. It's just be aware that's there, you know? Yeah. Be aware like I go out there and get lost in some backwoods, never be seen it come again, you know? <laughs> there's there's plenty of municipal areas you can just stick around, you know. You don't have to go <laughs> backwards. <laughs> it's like it's like you're 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 performing at like a community center. They had a they had a clan rally the night before. You know, <laughs> you don't have to yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's on the awning outside too. It's like in the little letters they put in. 
Yeah. <laughs> someone like, like you see someone changing out the thing. It says KKK rally to stand up comic. You know, that's the, <laughs> the flipping it over or whatever. I forgot this is a racist town. <laughs> Have you actually thought about though, like leaving New York at all? Can possibly go into like Texas or like some of the other like bigger, smaller cities. I've considered it. I've considered Austin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem with Austin is like, what do I have to go back with? If you're going to leave New York, you have to leave with a credit. I don't have a credit to leave with. Okay. That's the real hiccup. I can't leave this city for any other city because I don't have anything to leave with. You're talking about like to, to actually get to get booked at a club? When you Is that what you mean when you That's leave? That's part or? of it. But like when I mean credit, I mean like TV credit. I don't have a writing credit. You're going to get an IMDb credit with us. <laughs> Wait, really? It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I think it like the late night is a real thing, you know? Yeah. That means you can go work somewhere else because they mean that they think you're funny if the work here. Uh, I mean, uh, I know we talked about podcasting. Have you looked like looking more like acting? I know you, you did say on your Instagram page you do acting and, and voice acting. Is that something you're. Yeah, but I haven't done shit for that in like a year. I'm not seeing it. I'm not saying it like a negative way, all these things. I'm just saying that this is how a career is supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. There are ups and downs. And right now, I, t- I took a big risk by writing it all on there. So it's romantic, but it's I have the focus on how to convert this now. I have this raw passion, and I have to change that into dollars and cents. Unwrapped for now, but if I can build a following, which I think with consistent uploading of videos, consistent recording, I think I can. That's the whole point of this, right? Mm-hmm. Stuff's definitely entertaining. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know, I didn't think anyone would, you know, you do it a long time and you start asking yourself, what's next? Where am I going with this? What else can I do besides this? That's, that's a big weight. You're always going to, you always should be asking yourself that too. And you shouldn't look at your peers, but then I keep seeing my peers and they're doing this and that. And I think, well, how can I also do something like that? Or how can I, stand out with something that I want to do. What's my project this year or this month? What am I doing to better myself? And these are questions that I am asking myself every day now. What am I doing now? How is this helping long-term? And if it's not conducive to that, you know, you should change. And I, I know you did say like your peers are like getting like certain uh, opportunities to do certain things. Is, is that like hard and all? Cause like, I, I bet you feel like, what are they doing that I'm not doing? That's part of it. I mean, a lot of those toxic thoughts start creeping in your head. You know, you're kind of like, well, it's not happening for me now. Will it ever happen for me? And there, there's a line between like believing yourself and delusional, of course. You have to kind of just keep, from what I understand it, is you have to kind of keep marching. The more time goes between you getting something, you should keep marching, but also keep looking where you're marching. What mistakes are you making? What aren't you doing? What's the, what's the issue here? Have you allowed yourself to become complacent, which is very possible? That mean, what you're saying is stale. So a lot of people don't want to hear it. Why would they book someone they think is stale? Right. You have to constantly be writing in between doing all the other shit I've mentioned. What's your writing process like currently? Weak. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'll listen to my sets and then try to, I guess, write something better you know i keep hearing it over and over again and then i've I've been writing on which is like a crutch but i've been i've been writing on stage the last few months which is not good i don't recommend it because it's so time consuming and you might not get what you want to think about right away it's it's better to just write and think about it and then go and shoot it instead of just blurting out a topic but every every person's different some people can just riff and you know god bless them who can do that so I, I do, I've been doing it like that, you know, kind of just like, just trying to talk on stage. It's okay. I think of new topics now. I'm trying to write more about things that maybe are, are general topics that people talk about. So like having a girlfriend or the things she does. I feel like every comic has a, my boyfriend, this, or my girlfriend, that joke, or my wife, this, you know? So I figured I got to write more of those. Everyone has those. So I need to at least write on the same topic, different point of view. You don't think like a, like having a, the like an original stance would help you stand out more? Or that too? No, that that could that could and and that could. But I feel like you should be prepared for both. Understand both. What are you really going to go with? What's the situation calling for? Are you looking for 
Is it just like a free show? Is it a comedy club? Is it a big opportunity? Is it a weekend? Is it a hosting spot? What are you really going with? What's the vibe of the place? People, so many people act like every set is ripe and ready for your jokes, but not necessarily. The energy of the crowd could be way different than from what people expect. Some people, some crowds don't want jokes and they just want groundwork. You kind of joke around with them and you might be able to sneak in a joke here and there or a big act out. And sometimes you can't. You, you should have not necessarily conflicting points of view, but something that can help is a joke for different time. You know, I don't think you're giving too much away yourself of yourself as a performer by adapting your material a little bit. Yeah. And that's what you see with like, like the really like excellent, great, great comedians is like, no matter where they, they're at, they can adapt their material for that room or for yeah. this group. Like they're, they're able to manipulate it where it, it kind of fits no matter where they go and they can yeah. perform anywhere. It's odd to talk about because it's it's not a science or anything. It's literally an art. There's something about, so what is it about these 20 people, same area, same time of week versus the next hour, 20 different people that can make them, make your material go from amazing genius to crap. This random collection of different people, 20 random people who just all of a sudden don't, for some reason, don't like you. It sucks. You know, some, some crowds won't, I mean, just in general, will just hate you. Mm-hmm. In, in those scenarios where like the, the crowd just absolutely just is not driving with you. It's just not really getting like, how do, how do you just like, do you just push through it or do you just like, it depends on how much time I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's a short set, you try to push through, but like you might not be able to connect in like what, 10 minutes. I mean, you, you got all that time. I would say like, if you have a longer set, you're going to have to find a way to get each of them to like you. Mm-hmm. So something I can do is I can do crowd work on every person individually. So it, it breaks up the crowd. The crowd goes from being one person who is kind of annoyed to a mom of these individuals. So a lot of times it, it like shakes everything back up and puts it back together. So I found that can work to break a crowd, especially if you're doing a longer amount of time, it's going to be hell. Like 30 minutes on a shit crowd feels like nine hours. <laughs> it's the most painful feel. Bro, you, when you bomb badly, you feel the heat from the heat lamps. You feel the sun in the room. Feel pain. Bro, I feel pain. Physical pain from the silence. It feels gut-wrenching. It's like swinging at the air and hitting nothing with your full force of your body. Especially like you're in scenarios like a week prior, there's jokes killed and like it, like, and it's going in from yeah. like, like stuff that you know works and, and shit like that. And yes, and, yeah, a week, a week prior, fucking an hour ago, this we're in a different show in a different bar it was murdering. Mm-hmm. And you fucking think this sucks, you assholes. <laughs> it's so hard. I've never had like three hot shows in one night, you know, or like five hot shows, or whatever. I've had like, you know, one hot show. Or like two hot shows and like one middle or like one hot show and one middle and like one terrible and bomb, you know? Because usually if you do, sometimes you get a bunch of shows, like if you do a seven, sevens, the early shows are always emptier mm-hmm. or more sober people because they're not drunk yet. Midnight, ruckus, they're usually wild because they're fucking drunk at midnight. Who, you know, who the fuck's out on a fucking Wednesday at midnight? These assholes, you know, they got nothing going for them. Would you prefer to have a like all your shows just do like a middle level, or would you prefer to have bombs and then just killings? Like if you had to pick one or the other, like just middles or really highs and really lows. Oh, that's hard. It really is a hard one to choose from. I like when you're bombing, you're learning. So yeah, I'd rather be experimental, independent, and edgy than fucking hacky any day. Yeah, fucking. Who cares what you're doing like works if you're boring while being funny that's so weird you know you're not <laughs> some people are boring people and you're getting laughter but almost boring laughter someone's brain they're laughing at the joke only because they know it's a well-formatted joke <laughs> but you the person are so dull that you're telling this joke and i don't feel it in my heart you know what i mean so much i feel like it was so much it's over descriptive of like the 
Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm insecure. Oh boy. Now I'm insecure. Oh god. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm high on the marijuana. I just know it. <laughs> What's something you wish more people actually understood about stand-up? Uh, how difficult it is to deal with different personality types. Like, like in the uh, in the crowd, or or like with other comedians. Industry? Both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like other comedians. It's very hard to deal with it. Having to deal with mental illnesses as also someone who is mentally ill, <laughs> it, it's hard. This is independent scene. There's no HR. There's no one we can talk to. Like, it's the, that's the only problem with like not having HR. It's like there's some things that you should be able to be like, hey man, stop. You know? <laughs> like some things are too much. I don't know how you guys go with the vaccine. I'm pro vaccine. Oh okay. yeah, I'm, I'm vaccinated. Seamus is uh, he's an anti-vaxer. I'm not. I'm not anti-vaxxer. I'm. I'm just. I have my own special brand of mental illness that makes it makes me nervous about. Okay. All right. This way. Yeah. There you go. It's all right. No one's saying that. No. No judgment. Yeah. yeah. No. I hang up. I'm like goodbye. And then click. <laughs> fucking anti-vaxxer. <laughs> <laughs> what if I had flipped it and be like, "You're vaccinated? No, thank you." And then click. <laughs> What's something you didn't expect doing comedy? Something that really surprised you? Oh, okay. That's a good, that's a fun one. I integrated more into American society than I would have. Okay. So we were, uh, you know, because we were undocumented. Like my mom was, but we were like, we were citizens. But like, as children, you can really fucking do anything without your parents. There's only so much I could fucking do. There was a lot of stuff I was ignorant of with American culture, admittedly. It was just things I didn't know about Americans do because we were always fucking here or with other Hispanics. Okay, for example, I always had a one family household. Did you guys have two family households? Wait, what do you mean by that? Yeah, what do you two mean? Parent? No, I didn't. Single also? Single parent? So I was a single mom. Yeah, I, I had a, a stepdad uh, for most of my, my life. My parents split, and then like the my, my stepdad's been in my life for like 25 years. Okay. 45 years? 25. What? 25. Okay, I was like, Jesus Christ, how old are you, Josh? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I lost my train of thought. Wait, give me the question again. You're um, you're saying like how comedy like helped uh, integrate you in, into American society a bit more. Yeah, 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 yeah. It did with learning more about America's culture, more learning more of the language, learning more. I mean, just education. I feel like my life really took a turn for the better when I started medication, which I was unmedicated most of my life. It helped calm me down a lot from what. I was, you know, poverty doesn't really go by itself. It doesn't come alone. In Spanish, it's like a phrase, la vejez no viene solo. And it translates like old age doesn't come alone. But it's the same thing with poverty. Poverty doesn't come alone. It brings a lot of things with it. A lot of negative things. It's like there's hardships there. But dealing, and it's literally just because of comedy. So comedy completely changed my life in that sense, where I learned more now. And now I feel like I have a better shot at achieving what is the, you know, American dream or whatever, the capitalist dream of like kind of moving up for sure would not have, I would never have done as easily by myself. I would have kept by a lot of the old culture. I would have kept by, probably would have been married early on, stuff like that. I was always kind of weird, I guess. That's a benefit to it too. You learn more about America itself. You learn really how, America works. You see more of the country. You physically see a lot of it. That's yeah. the that's the good part. You become worldly because you're in different American cities. Well, I guess you become American, but you know, like you become more educated on what America is. A lot of that was interacting with different crowds and things like that, seeing different types yeah, of people. Yeah, that part, you learn you learn so much just from talking from different people, different point of views. The way they talk to you after a show, also they'll come up to you and be like, "Was that true? Was this true?" When they're talking about their own cities, of how nice it is, talk to you about that. They don't, they're like, oh, I don't think, especially when you have a joke that's a hard opinion on something, mm-hmm. they'll be very free. They'll want to share their opinion with you. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so so you, you, you have a lot of people that come up and want to like hash out all the opinions you had on stage? No, believe me, it's never a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually just one asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst with like one guy oh do you know okay if you're a comedian and you're listening to this one thing i will say to you is 
anytime you do a show, there's always one guy that wants to buy you a drink and tell you about how he wanted to do stand-up comedy. Do not take that drink, all right? He told you for like 15 minutes and tell you how he wanted to be a stand-up comic, how he thinks he could still do it, or how he thinks he is like really funny. And it's not worth the drink ever. It's <laughs> like, a good life advice. <laughs> how many how many times has that happened to you? So many. So <laughs> many goddamn times. I think I'm sober now because they kind of go drink. I'm like, no, it's all right. No drink. <laughs> uh, I would say stay away from booze too. So what does uh, your mom and sister think about your comedy? Are, are they really supportive of it? Oh, the opposite. Yeah, they hate oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like. That's how it is, you know? Okay. My mom never understood it. She doesn't understand it now. She's an immigrant, so it's not the same thing. My sister, she was always neutral with it, you know? I've always been envious of people like people's like parents who are like really into it. Mm-hmm. They're like, my dad forced me up. You know? The thing is, I've seen both ways where like some people have really supportive parents and some people have really unsupportive. And it's fun to see the kind of jokes they write on each side. Because some people have supportive parents. They're like, my dad, dad, but he loves the jokes about him. And he does like voice jokes or whatever. The other one is still the same way. But it's like, it doesn't affect the performer, but it affects the outcome of the art. It's just the point of view of the art, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's either shitting on their parents or not. <laughs> so, but, but you said like, it doesn't affect how funny they can be. No, no. It isn't, I've never seen it. I've seen one consistent, as I mentioned earlier, money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the more money you have, the more money you come from, whether or not your parents are supportive and you have their wallet, that's a big factor. You know, if they, if you have a financial backer, you can do so much more, yeah. especially hiring a press agent. Those guys are expensive. They're like two grand. Jeez. We're talking press agent just for a little more attention. Do you think it's necessary to have some kind of like adversity in your life to, to be a successful stand-up and like write good comedy? Yes. But adversity comes in many different shapes and forms. So the adversity that someone faces can be completely different. Do you guys know Steven Rogers, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Oh, I don't I'm think sure. so. Okay. He's a comedian who who's gotten late night on Stephen Colbert. He's very clean, squeaky clean kind of guy. Even if you meet him in person, He's very well-groomed at all times, very well put together and calm. His adversity might not be life, but his adversity might be his own anxiety. Okay. He's his own worst enemy. His thoughts are his killer, you know, his, his feelings on himself. So I think that adversity, even if it's not direct, is what, what he's using. It's the regular nice boy adversity, but like it's still adversity to some degree. Then he can use that charm he has to play with that. And then there's other people with social adversity, which they can talk about that on stage. And there's like a lot of those minorities and things like that. And a lot of them are critiquing white people, which white people love. You know, they love to be roasted. <laughs> like an urban comic or something. It's like, you white people, you suck. And they're like, ah. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> which is like a way to benefit from them. You know, you can benefit off life sucking for you society so you can kind of take that and make some joy for other people and then make a buck or two i mentioned money a lot it should be on your mind as a comic especially to be struggling ones you should always be thinking how can i convert this to something else always think about changing you know everything you're making how can i sell this to someone else? how can i move this to other person create art just to create art but also create art to sell because that's what you're here for sorry that's not meant to be scummy it's meant to be like realistic no, 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 no. I, I don't, I don't think there's anything scummy about trying to make a living doing what, what you love. What, what yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. there's nothing scummy. And, and like, like, like people should, should think, think. I think, think about that on on some level too. If they, that's how you like get from from not making it to making it. You know, like being able to support yourself. That's that's gonna that's gonna like help you make better art as well. That's true. Like you said, like if you had the opportunities like to pay for like a publicist or an agent or a manager, it just helps you like build, go to that next level. And it's just like, it's all at level building. Always. And even, you know, I shit on them, but like, if you have an industry insider, take it, always take the advantage, mm-hmm. always take it, never leave it up to chance. Always find a way to either 
pack out the crowd in your favor or find someone that will advocate for you. The idea of like a comedian who, who moves up in an earnest way, not having to talk to anyone is ridiculous. You know, it's yeah. impossible. Yeah. It, you know, that's, that's a pipe dream. It's like in a lottery. If that at all. Because at least with the lottery, you buy a ticket that gives you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, some tier. There's no like, you can just keep fucking up yeah. the rest of your career and that's it. Your life is pissed away. I mean, that, you know, I tell them, take it every time. You know, there's also ways to cheat, kind of, festivals. There's a lot of industry there. Get trying to get into that. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, like luck really is a big part of it that no one really talks about and no one really acknowledges. Because if you're lucky, you're like, oh, I, it was all hard work that got me here. But it's usually like one opportunity or one moment that kind of. That's, that's true. That's absolutely, you're absolutely right. If you were not there for that, but the way you get that lucky shot is all the hard is work. If you're showing yeah. up every day, hard work you have to have ready and packed ready. You have to you have to be there to to seize it. Like you have to be in a position where you, where you can take that opportunity or, or that that instance and all. Make friends with somebody who's got got a big podcast. <laughs> get on their podcast. Yeah. You're kind of joking, but also that is a way to do 100%. it. Hundred percent. Well, that's, that's what, that. yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. You know, I think that's like it seems like that's where a lot of a lot of people make the right friends and get on the right podcasts. And you gotta get ahead any way you can. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Daniel, we usually ask one last question uh, of our guests. Any words of wisdom for an aspiring comedian that's just starting out that you wish you would have got when you first started out? Understand that it's going to take a long time. You have to constantly be working harder. So the first year, you know, really soak it in, enjoy it. Enjoy the fun of like good hangs with people that you like. Unfortunately, a lot of those like same people might not be there by the time it's your third year. It's still the, the, the hangs, the fun times is, is things, are memories you hold on to for like the rest of your career. I wouldn't skip it. Even no matter how like pressing time is or like pressing anything is, hold on to them. They're really important. If you won't get them back, like uh, once they're gone, they're gone. No, seriously. Yeah. And you think about them a lot too. Yeah. And that's the thing you said, like, even like there'll be people there that won't be there. And that, that's the thing with comedy. Like people come and go out of the industry really frequently. Like people are either yeah. there for 20 plus years or they're there and they're just gone all of a sudden. You never see them again. Yeah. Oh, don't fight with anyone either. Oh, yeah. Don't sexually harass anyone. Yeah. Either. Don't, I wouldn't ask anyone out at all. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, it's weird to say like that, but like, like keep it in your pants when you're around other especially yeah. comedians because you know they're gonna talk about you like immediately after you're oh done. My God. Like, like everyone's gonna know about it. <laughs> Stay professional with everyone and you'll be rewarded with more spots because other people are doing that to them. So usually that's the way to tell. Daniel, it's been an absolute blast having you on our podcast this evening. We really do appreciate it. I'm sorry I wasn't like funnier. I feel like I took this no. too seriously. No, that's all right. It was, yeah. it was very enlightening. I was in okay. I don't know. Yeah, now we're definitely. bullshitting. Yeah. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you don't, have to, you don't yeah, have to come on and be funny. You're, you're a great guy. Like yeah. everything you're saying. Oh, is awesome. so. oh, you guys hate me. No. Oh, God. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no you're, you're, you're cool as fuck. Like, um, yeah, no, you're, you're really cool. That's great. Where can our listeners find more of you and your work at? Uh, find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore J underscore Parafan. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Daniel J Parafan. Oh, I have a YouTube. My channel is Daniel J Parafan. All of that, you know, around or whatever. It's cool. Any last questions? Or can I ask you guys yeah, something? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys like fuck? Is that something you guys no. do? What's <laughs> up with that? The chemistry is here for it, you know? You mean uh, like fuck each other? Yeah, it's yeah, emotionally. Yeah, no. that goes yeah, yeah, we just, we fuck with each other emotionally. <laughs> we've uh, we've been best friends since middle school, so we've we've known each other for a very long time. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Damn, and you two aren't in love. No, Come on. admit it. <laughs> I think I think I do much better than this guy. <laughs> That's what he says. Yeah, he thinks <laughs> thinks he's considerably more attractive than me. He says that to you every day. Yeah, It's like you have the birth of your first sound, and he's like, Yeah, but don't forget I'm hotter than you. Like it's his first thing. It was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Sweet. All right, Daniel. Bye. Have a great night. We really appreciate it. Night. Yeah. Night, buddy. Bye-bye. Yeah, man.
<laughs> always love when people can't sign out the Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, our good real set of real videos of just people trying to close out the Zoom. Yeah. He was high. <laughs> yeah. Glad New York uh, yeah. passed recreation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it was it was good. It's a different take than than a lot of the, the comedians we, we talked to and all which he was more real and all that's that's yeah, he, he wasn't sugarcoating a lot of it. He wasn't like lamming it up where like other people like punch it up a little bit more. Possibly they've had a different experience also. Yeah. But yeah, but but, but yeah, he definitely talking about how difficult it is. I mean, everybody everybody talks about how difficult it is, but they don't really go into detail about how. And, and like the stuff he was saying about like it's really like knowing people is, is such a boon in that industry. Like the make or break of a lot of like comedians are getting to a certain level. It, it's just knowing the right person or yeah, yeah. I think I think you gotta you have to meet the right people too and like develop those relationships. Yeah, because that's what everyone yeah. says, like, like, or that's what everyone hopes for. Like, you, you start, and then you find like a, a a click or a group of people, and you kind of punch each other up, and you kind of just work with them. Everyone just kind of grows together. That's the dream. Uh, no, Daniel was a really cool guy. Yeah, no, I I think I think his stand up's really funny. Um, yeah. His YouTube videos are awesome. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Everybody yeah. should go check those out. Hope he gets what he deserves. <laughs> That's 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 a phrase that has a, such a negative connotation, isn't it? So you always say that oh, he'll get what he deserves, but in this case, I think he deserves something very positive. Very interesting guy. I'm really glad we got to talk to him tonight. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/WWSD_podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Yeah. Josh likes to say his penis looks like it owns a bank. <laughs> Josh owns a penis like it owns a bank. What? He says his penis looks like it owns a bank. But have you seen his penis? It feels like you've no, seen I it. I, I I have actually. I have. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. What does it look like? A bank manager? Is it? I don't know. It's it's circumcised. <laughs> <laughs> Got that My penis looks like it, it's a dock worker. <laughs> You know, kind of sad. It frumps over. <laughs> you know, he's had a long, horrible life, and you've he, seen hell. You know? <laughs> he deals with assholes all day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting choked to death every night. <laughs> <laughs> uh.